Our scripture reading today is from Hebrews chapter 13. Stay on good terms with each other, held together by love. Be ready with a meal or a bed when it's needed. Why some have extended hospitality to angels without ever knowing it. Regard prisoners as if you were in prison with them. Look on victims of abuse as if what happened to them happened to you. Honor marriage and guard the sacredness of sexual intimacy between wife and husband. God draws a firm line against casual and illicit sex. Don't be obsessed with getting more material things. Be relaxed with what you have. Since God assured us, I'll never let you down, never walk off and leave you. We can boldly quote, God is there, ready to help. I'm fearless no matter what. Who or what can get to me? Appreciate your pastoral leaders who gave you the word of God. Take a look at the way they live and let their faithfulness instruct you as well as their truthfulness. There should be a consistency that runs through all of us. For Jesus doesn't change. Yesterday, today, tomorrow. He's always totally himself. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Randy. Well, it's joy, pure joy, to be here today sharing with you my favorite church in the whole wide world, my favorite service. No, Um, don't tell the others I said that. I just want to pray before we start. I'm going to read a little bit from Isaiah 57. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him or her who is of a contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. Father, I pray that you would let us see you in your high and holy place and also in one another and around us today. God, I pray you would would comfort and revive our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, It's been hard to be Jesus people in America lately. Um, (laughs) I don't know about you, but around our house, Morgan and I have a tendency to talk about how heavy things feel in life, not just in our family or our own personal lives, but in our world. It just, you know, we've had hurricanes and California has been burning. That's where I'm from. My hometown was burning the other day. Um, The political drama just does not stop. Um, If you're brave enough to enter into the world of social media, Godspeed. It's a dangerous place to be these days. But it's just a lot of confusion and arguing and polarizing of opinions. And here we are right in the middle of it, God's people. And how do we do that well is the great question. I think that truly and truly and truly the world has never needed the church as much as it does now. Maybe it's always needed the church as much. It's just we feel the weight of it today as his people. And so if the church is our best hope, Hebrews 13 is a great way for us to figure out how to be the church of God in an unstable, confusing culture. It can help us to build strong faith communities that offer hope and restoration to the world. You know, at times, the book of Hebrews has been complex and poetic. I hope you've caught on to that, that it's confusing in different places the last few weeks. 
But here in Hebrews 13, we kind of get to the end, and amazingly, it's incredibly straightforward and direct. And I love straightforward and direct scripture because straightforward and direct scripture is very easy to understand. But I kind of don't love straightforward and direct scripture because straightforward and direct scripture also leaves me not a lot of space to get it wrong. So today, I'm sorry we're setting the bar high by trying to live Hebrews 13. I'm actually not sorry. I think it's a blessing. So Hebrews 13 sort of reminds me of the instructions you get when you buy something from Ikea. Breaks it down super simply. So here are some instructions from Ikea, which actually I was looking at these and I thought that that's actually great instructions for life. Like don't carry the heavy things alone. Make sure you have a friend you're going to be really confused at some point. So call for help. Isn't that great? That's great advice. Hebrews 13 isn't quite this simple, but in the spirit of Ikea, I'm going to summarize Hebrews 13 today into two simple phrases so that you can remember it well. And they are arms up, hands open. How are we going to live our best life as the church and as God's people? Hands up, arms open. Arms up, hands open, excuse me. It's been a long day. So the writer of Hebrews first tells us that our goal is actually simple, or he puts it in simple terms. He says, stay on good terms with each other, held together by love. That sounds easy to do, but we all know that's hard to pull off. It goes on to define this unity of love as being an arms up attitude toward others and toward ourselves toward others through hospitality and empathy, and toward ourselves through sexual purity and contentment. Living with our arms up reminds us that the Christian's life is meant to be lived in surrendered worship. It's what we're created for. It's how our life should be postured before God and other people. Arms up. But when my arms are up, like this, it also puts me in a fairly vulnerable position because when my arms are up, I cannot defend myself if you attack me, right? It's hard for me to push you away or protect myself from things that could happen to me. So arms up is also scary. It's a scary thing. But vulnerable service is the way of Jesus. And so we're kind of stuck here until we figure out how to do this well, unfortunately. But it's God's kindness and mercy that really shows us how to live hospitality and empathy. If you look to the Bible for examples, you'll find so many examples of God's kindness. It's refreshing and inspiring. When Adam and Eve were naked after disobeying God and ashamed, God came to them, found them, and clothed them. When Moses knew he had a call on his life but was afraid to be the one to speak, God provided someone to speak for him. When Mary and Martha mourned their brother Lazarus, Jesus came to them, and he he was empathetic toward them. He mourned with them, and then he gave them their brother back. Such kindness. When a woman was caught in infidelity, and she was being attacked by a group of men, Jesus stepped in, in love, and he pointed those men to God and sent them away. He covered the woman's sin, Then he turned to her and said, go and sin no more. The kind of love that builds true community and unity in our midst is one that steps in and protects. It's one that covers 
and empowers us to live a holy life. That's the kind of love we're seeking to live here at Mosaic. And it's God's kindness and mercy that shows us how to be hospitable. And it's interesting that in Hebrews 13, it points out specifically we need to be hospitable towards strangers. Now, it's much easier to be hospitable toward people that we know or who look like us or who seem familiar to us. I mean, if I open my front door and one of my friends is there, I'm just going to let my friend in. But if I open my front door and someone I don't know who also looks different than anybody I've ever seen before is standing at my door, I might not just, hey, come on in. And yet, and yet, (laughs) Hebrews 13 says to do that. It says, be ready with a meal or a bed when it's needed. Why, some have extended, extended hospitality to angels without ever knowing it. A few weeks ago, I went to pick my son up at football practice. And Pastor Brett is my son's football coach. And so, as many of you may know, Brett and Melissa have a daughter. She's two and a half, and her name is Helena. And they brought Helena home from Ethiopia. They adopted her earlier this year. And so when Helena came and was a part, became a part of our family, because Brett and Melissa are like family to us, I consider Helena part of my family. And uh, when I first met Helena, I had no plan to do this. However, the first time I met her, the Holy Spirit just descended upon me in a great and mighty move. And I decided that I was going to tell this child who spoke no English that my name was not actually Carrie. That is not what I told her my name was. I told her my name is Sugar. And I have backed that name up by always giving her candy when I'm in her presence. She likes me a lot. Super proud to say nobody gets to steal this because only I can be Sugar now. And... So, Brett and Melissa have graciously allowed me to give myself a new name in this one of their children's life. Their other children call me Carrie, but Helena calls me Sugar. So, I got to practice that night, and I walked over, and I saw Helena there, and I crouched down in front of her, and I said, Hi, Helena. It's Sugar. And normally, she gets super excited because she's two, and I have candy, and she hugs me. But this night, or this day, she turned to me, and she gave me one of her famous side eyes. I was really nervous, you guys. Like I'm thinking, how do I need to up my game with this child? And so uh, I sat there. I was looking at her face. I couldn't figure it out. And then Melissa turns and she goes, Carrie, I don't think she recognizes you behind your new glasses. So I took my glasses off and Helena immediately responded the way you would if you knew you were in the presence of an angelic being. She threw her arms around me and hugged me, and I told her how much I love her, and I reached my hand in my purse, and I got the candy out, and life was so good, just as it ought to be. But the thing is, the way I came to Helena is often the way God comes to us in our lives, seeming a little like a stranger, behind a new set of glasses, a new coworker, a new neighbor, a, one of your kids' new friends, right? Lord help us. Um, of the opposite sex, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> You're just friends, right? But <laughs> a new person in your family. God brings new people to you who may seem a little strange. It may be a person in a store you just encounter. Or it could be a strange circumstance behind that new set of glasses, but, you know, something like a job loss. Um, 
a diagnosis that is unfamiliar and unwanted. And you think, surely I'm not supposed to raise my arms to this. Surely I'm not supposed to be hospitable now, right? And if we don't do that, if we don't raise our arms to whatever life offers us that seems strange and unfamiliar, we could seriously miss out on what's behind the glasses, on the angelic, divine hand of God, bringing us unfamiliar experiences and people for the sake of God's kingdom. We do not want to do that. And so we raise our arms up in hospitality. Rabbi Evan Moffick wrote in his book, Shalom for the Heart, that hospitality is really actually a sacred duty. And he talked about how God is not only up above, but he's all around us. And he said, hospitality opens us up to God's presence everywhere. So we, we are desperate, right? We, we come and we say, this is strange and unfamiliar, but I'm going to raise my arms up anyways and find out how God is in this. Because the truth is, every person you encounter in your life is made in the image of God. This is why we're given this directive, because every person is made in God's image. And when you strip away what's unfamiliar and strange to you about the people around you, when all the things that make us different, whether that's interests or backgrounds or racial experiences or anything that makes you different, education, socioeconomic levels, all of that, all those things that society allows to separate us, you strip all those things away. And you find that there's a golden thread running through every person. And it is that God is crazy in love with them. Just dying for them. Literally loving them to to the very end. It's what unites us and really makes us all the same. And so we're all desperately loved by God. And Hebrews 13 says, so show, show it to one another. Arms up. And then it says, not just strangers. Let's press into some deeper waters. Okay, let's, let's go one step further with this. Let's, let's press that love and hospitality into the area of those in prison and those who are suffering, which is hard and incredibly uncomfortable and a place a lot of us would rather not go. But we could really earn a graduate degree here in hospitality and empathy if we're willing to step into this call It says in Hebrews to regard prisoners as if you were in prison with them. To look on victims of abuse as if what happened to them had happened to you. And so you have to pull yourself into that situation and actually recognize that these people's physical circumstances are incredibly similar to your spiritual circumstances before God. You were guilty, accused attacked, imprisoned, and in bondage. You were alone, and Christ came for you. And so when we raise our arms up to those who are suffering and in prison, we say, oh, I see myself in you. I see what God did for me, and I'm going to now ask myself the hard questions. What kind of mercy would I want if I were you? What kind of comfort would I need If I were in your position, what kind of justice would I long for if I were a victim of what you've been a victim of? We step into these places. They're not easy. The way with Jesus is never going to be easy, though. We step in and we say, oh, if I were one of you, let me love you the way I would want to be loved. The call is deep. 
and it's hard. But do we see what God sees when we look at the suffering? Hebrews 13 just says, be empathetic. Lift your arms. Lift your arms in hospitality and empathy. And then Hebrews 13 gets a little more personal, as if that didn't already seem personal. (laughs) And it talks about our bodies and our possessions. Now, arms up. (laughs) Arms up. I know we're in church and we're going to talk about sex and money. So just sit tight for a second. But if we're going to talk about, if we're going to say that this is about what's hard about getting from today to eternity with God forever, if that's what this is really about, which it is, sex and money is, are probably two of the hardest parts of life on earth, right? I mean, just truthfully. And the Bible has a lot to say about both topics, so I think we're in good company. Because God really is after our hearts. And for whatever reason, the human heart easily makes idols in the areas of sex and money. We just do. We're drawn toward it. But between here and forever, we're living in these bodies with needs and drives that have to be accounted for in our faith. Because our faith is not just about what we believe. It's about how we, how we act and what we choose Sometime last year, I was in the airport with Morgan, and we were waiting for a flight, and a group of nuns walked by, and I just really have this sort of fascination with nuns. Um, I'm an introvert, and I really love Jesus most of all, and sometimes I just feel like nuns are living my best life. So this this group of nuns walked by, and I just sat there wondering, like, I wonder where they're going. Where do nuns fly to? What are they going to go do? Are they going to go help hurting people? Are they going to a conference? Do they have conferences? I'm just wondering. And so they walked by, and I turned to Morgan, and I really hoped he wouldn't be offended when I said what I was thinking, which was, I think I could have made a really great nun. (laughs) To which he replied, I think you would have had a problem with the wardrobe. (laughs) And the chastity. So we're in this deep. This is deep for me. This is all the deep things. Because it's easy to think that if we changed our circumstances by, say, becoming nuns, that the battle would not be so hard. That's not the way it works. We're human until we we got these bodies and we got to deal with this stuff and it's part of our faith until the day we get to see Jesus. And so we look at Hebrews 13 and we see that it calls sex sacred says it's holy. Now, holy means set apart for God's express use. So when we're talking about sex and sexuality, it's important to understand that your sex life is meant to set you apart for God's express use. That is not the message our culture gives us about sex, is it? It's a totally different way of thinking about that part of our lives. And for the record, if you're married here today, fighting for sexual purity does not end the day you say, I do. It really doesn't. Our culture is selling us a knockoff, cheap version of a beautiful and holy thing when it lowers sex to something common and meaningless. 
the question we have to face is, have we submitted this part of our life to God? Are we letting him write our story in this place? And I realize that as a woman in a safe and healthy marriage, this is a less painful passage for me than other people who've been in abusive and harder places than I'm in. And I'm really sorry. I'm sorry for how hard this is for you. But as Christians, we have to take these passages that are so contrary to what we're taught in our culture. We have to at least wrestle with them. We have to at least say, what does this say about my life and how am I living it? How do I reconcile my own life and my own faith and my own body to what God is saying in Scripture? It's going to take some incredibly messy relational work for us to do what we need to do. Because Hebrews 13 was written to a culture that had a very similar sexual culture as ours today. What it means today, it meant then, and what it meant then, it means today. And we've got to at least, at least, process and weigh how we live this out and how we create a community that makes it possible for sex to be seen as a holy thing in God's hand. Because when college students tell you that they have their body count is 32 or 24 or 16, they're talking about the number of sexual partners they've had in their lives, and those numbers are pretty common. The average age that a child is exposed to pornography in America is 11. And as a side note, if you have children in your home and you have devices available, I hope you have them on some lockdown. And I hope that you've alerted your kids to the fact that other people's phones and devices are not always safe and that maybe they should stay off of them so that your 12-year-old daughter or son doesn't have to go home and try to figure out how to deal with what they just saw. Our kids need to know what's out there but they don't need to see what's out there. When you mix our low view of sex with money, power, and fame, you get our current Hollywood scandal. Because we've been saying for years that sex is no big deal, it doesn't mean anything, it's meaningless, but now suddenly, oh, wait, it's victimizing people. Well, meaningless things don't victimize people. Right? Have you ever been hurt by something that's meaningless? No. Someone, someone needs to help put the pieces back together. There need to be places where we can come and go, this isn't easy. We're not even sure how we do this right all the time. But somehow we have to to learn to make this holy again. We have to learn how to walk in holiness, even when it's messy and hard and confusing. We have to... Raise our arms up and say, this is the body you gave me, Lord, and I'm just going to trust you to meet me here where it doesn't make sense to me. So that people can find in their own life the depth of God's goodness and grace and forgiveness and mercy and protection in a holy and sacred place of their body. We can do this better. And I know holiness is not easy. It's not going to be easy for us, but it's our pathway home. Holiness is our pathway home. 
And Hebrews goes on to say that part of that pathway home, that holy pathway home, is to be relaxed with what you have. America is anything but relaxed with what it has. Black Friday is coming. (laughs) The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And yet, I could pin for an eternity all of the things that I want on Pinterest starting right now. It would take me till I saw Jesus to be done, pinning all the things I want. A few weeks ago, my daughter and I went to Target, and we walked through the front door, and right there by the door of Target were the most beautiful things that I've seen in maybe ever. And I walked over to the beautiful things, and I sort of like started like petting them because I loved them. I loved them so much, and I wanted to bring them home and make them mine. And they were not on my list, though, or in my budget. And so I stood there... I stood there in the middle of Target on a busy suburban afternoon with my daughter next to me, and I knew it was time for me to gird up. And I pointed at the pretty things, and I said, pretty things, I really like you. I really want to bring you home. However... I have your ugly cousins at home already. (laughs) And as happy as you would make me for a moment, Jesus will make me happy forever. And as painful as it's going to be for me to leave you here, that pain will, will dissipate and eventually go away. My husband will feel no pain if I leave you here. He will feel only gratitude and joy. And so I'm going to have to say goodbye. And I turned away from the pretty things. And my daughter, who also likes pretty things, eyes as big as saucers, looked at me and said, I didn't even know that was possible. In that moment, what happened between my daughter, and myself, was we created a safe place to have a weakness, right? I mean, in a very shallow first world situation, wanting things that are super pretty. I said to her, listen, babe, sometimes you've got to throw your arms up and you've got to say, not today, Satan. You've got to say, I want to live more for that day than I want to live for this day. And I know a pair of pants from Target is a small thing, but it's the little moments that add up to a life that's walking in holiness and submission to God. And I'm making space in her life for her to know I'm in it with her. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. We're going to struggle, but this is our community and we're united in God's love. This is how we make it. So living with our arms up requires that we submit to God and one another. It pushes us toward hospitality, empathy, purity, and contentment. 
But what does Hebrews 13 say about living with our hands open? I love the way this passage is an ancient sort of call and response. Because God, our worship leader, says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And then we say, God is there ready to help. I'm fearless no matter what. Who or what can get to me? Living with our hands open means we confidently receive whatever God intends to place in them. It means trusting that what we receive from him and what we offer to people is the gospel truth of who God is and who God says we are. So who is God and who does he say we are? Well, other versions of this verse say, The Lord is my helper, I shall not fear. Who, uh, what can man do to me? Now, the word helper here is the Greek word bythus. And bythus is the translation of the Hebrew word azer. So this is saying, the Lord is my azer. Now, azer means helper. It's translated helper. It's in the Bible many, many times. You can blue letter Bible it. Uh, God describes himself as an azer many times. It doesn't just mean helper, and the English word for helper isn't really adequate here. This has roots in the words to rescue, to save, and strength. What this is saying is that it's often used in military terms. God is a warring rescuer who comes to help you in your moment of great need. Okay, that is who God, it's saying God is. Now there's also a clue in the word azer about who we are. Because if you look in Genesis 2, back when God was making Adam and Eve, when God, after he made Adam, said, I want to make a suitable helper for you, he says, Azair. The first time God ever refers to a woman, he calls her an Azair. He takes a word used for himself and he says, I, Adam, you're great. <laughs> he says, you're amazing. I have put my headship in you, Adam. I have made you the source. You're the first I made. I'm going to take woman out of you. You're the, you're the first, my, my godly triune love of community and people. I'm putting all of that in you to lead and bear weight and be amazing, Adam. But you know what? Now that I think about it, There's this part of me that you're going to need. By your side, I'm going to place her, my Azair. I'm going to make a woman for you, Adam. I'm going to make her a strong, mighty, rescuing force in the world. She is going to show the world that I am an Azair and that I come and run and rescue people who are in distress. That's what I'm going to put with you, Adam. Now listen. If men and women can walk together in the full design of who God made us to be, allowing one another to lead in the ways and love in the ways he created us to, the head and the rescuer, I want you to know there is nothing we cannot accomplish together. And if the idea of God being a warrior rescuer in your life seems a little strange, I would gather to say that it's possible the women in your life 
have not had the space to show you what that looks like. Because culturally, we haven't. This is our time, ladies. This is the time, men, that you step, make a little space for that woman. I'm telling you, when I saw Wonder Woman. I don't even like superhero movies. When I saw Wonder Woman, and she got that shield, and she pressed across no man's land. I was like... That's what his hair looks like. That's who I want to be. I left there. I told Morgan, I want to be your Azair, baby. I want to fight for you. I want to push back on everybody that attacks you. I want to make sure you safely go where God called you to go. I want to make sure I'm in the front. Can't hold me back. And that is a picture of who God is, is our Azair. God is a warring, mighty rescuer in our lives. So helper, the Lord is my helper, does not adequately describe this term. Because God's not a helper like my son's help to mow the lawn. Because it's really crooked and doesn't look that great. He's not a helper like your robot vacuum helps you while you watch the big game. Clean up the living room a little bit. He's not a helper like your coworker who refiled the the filing cabinet last week and everything's so much easier. That's not the kind of helper God is here. God is our mighty, mighty Azair. So, after this declaration of faith in God as our Azair, what does Hebrews press us to next? Because it's starting to get really good, if you notice. It says, to be good followers. It says, appreciate your pastoral leaders who gave you the word of God, take a good look at the way they live and let their faithfulness instruct you as well as their truthfulness. So it says here, look at the people who've led you and what they've done well, do those things well. Imitate the people ahead of you. It says, open your hands up and receive from people, which is way scarier than receiving from God because God is perfect and people are not, even in church, shockingly. So how do we do that? I know we live in an amazing digital age where you can listen to podcasts and messages that just are incredible all the time. But I just want to say that there is no substitute for an amazing leader in your life. You need somebody in your life leading you. Because the truth is, Beth Moore is fantastic, and I have high respect for her. I think she's amazing. But Beth Moore doesn't know you. And if your son or brother disappears on a Saturday night after a party that he was supposed to come home from, and you don't know where he is, Beth Moore's not going to ride shotgun in your car while you drive around town and look for him. And she's not going to restrain you when you go and try and grab that boy by the ears and drag him home. Right? You need a person in your life to help you with that. Tim Keller is a great preacher. I love his sermons. I find them incredibly helpful. However... If your boss is behaving immorally in a staff meeting and you need career advice about how to handle that and you call Tim, that call is going to go to voicemail. And he might not call you right back because he doesn't know you. You know, Beth and Tim and every other leader, every other human, 
have one important thing in common. They all really do make mistakes. They're really not perfect. And I've been in dysfunctional churches, and I've been hurt by, by I've been wounded by leaders, and I've learned two things that have helped me through that. One, nobody gets away with anything for long. They just don't. And two, most people really are giving you the best they know how to give, which sometimes is kind of more sad than anything else. And so where do we go when we have open hands and we want to receive from people, but people's best is not always that great? Well, we go to the one place things never change. We go to Jesus. Jesus never changes. He's himself always. Our circumstances change. Technology changes. Our relationships change. Our city changes. Our neighborhoods change. Our families change. But Jesus is always the same. He's always forever our strong and mighty Azair, running in to rescue us when we cry out for help. He's always the head of the church, stabilizing our faulty, wavering steps that we're just pretty sure are the right ones we're going to make. He's always our healer, touching us, healing us of our sickness, healing us of our diseases, setting us free from the bonds that have entangled us. He is forever our king of kings, above every government, no matter where. He is always our Lord of lords, forever and ever, leading us home, our holy, holy and great priest on high. That is who Jesus is. And when we live with our arms up and our hands open, that is who we're offering the world. This church, at the center of this church, is not a person that you can see with your eyes. It's preposterous that I am married to a pastor. Right? Preposterous. Jesus is at the center of this church. This has always just been his church. He's saved it from the fire a million times. He's our Azair. He's our rescuer. He is the head of this body, and he has blessed us with his presence, with his hospitality, with his empathy, with his purity. He's blessed us with his contentment to love us where we are. He's so good to us. A few years ago, I was reading in uh, Matthew when Jesus, some people come and say, well, I want to follow you, Jesus. And Jesus' cryptic response, as usual, is the foxes and birds have no homes, have homes, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. But I read that that day, and I thought about what it really meant for him. Such a, such a vulnerable statement for a God to make. To say, truly, I was once enthroned. But because I love you, because I love this world, because I'm the son of a good father, I came. And I'm wandering, and I have nowhere to rest my head. And if you follow me, it might be a little wearying. And I thought, Jesus... Oh, Jesus, I want you to rest your head in my life. I want to live with my arms up and my hands open and say, you know the only good thing I have to offer you today? Jesus. Jesus. And I have this other great thing. It's all these incredible people who have their arms up, and together with our arms up and our hands open, we can carry such heavy things together. We're so much better together, and you can come be a part of this community too. 
We would love to have you join us. We're not perfect. We don't pretend to be. It's hard, but we want holiness, and we want Jesus most of all. We want his peace and his unity and his love to mark us so that we can be a light to a city that needs a light. They've got to find their way home, and the only way home is together. So today, let's just come before him. Look at Jesus, our high, high and holy priest, raising our arms to him and saying, O Lord, O Lord, we see you. Help us to be your people.